Thanks for tuning in to Organic Matters. This is sort of the, I'm going to call it the uh, climate part of the show, but it's actually more about an investment in green energy has really soared to the record high in the first half of any year. Investors poured more money than ever into renewable energy in the first half of this year, but the pace is far from enough to sufficiently curb increasing carbon emissions in the long term if we don't get more aggressive. As much as $174 billion was spent on solar, offshore wind, and other green technologies and companies in this first half of the year period. That's according to data from Bloomberg, which I kind of trust. While it's 1.8% more than a year earlier, the level is about 6 or 7% below the previous six months just because of what everything that's going on. The increase shows the resilience of an industry leading the fight against climate change despite rising costs because of the surge in commodity prices so far this year to limit emissions over the next coming decades, a big goal being the year 2030. Sort of fortunately for the way I think renewable energy investment has actually withstood the effects of the global pandemic. In contrast to the other sectors of the energy economy, where we've seen some unprecedented volatility in the market. Although the movement has always been up, an immediate acceleration in funding is needed if we're going to really get on the track for global net zero in the coming decades. Somewhat of a surprise was the growth was boosted by a record first half for new money raised on public markets, which hit $28.2 billion. Folks, with the economy the way it is, that's a pretty good jump. Up more than fivefold from the same period last year. Commitments to new renewable energy companies by venture capital and private equities have also rose dramatically since a change in the upper administration. Investments in solar power projects are up over 9% to a record $78.9 billion in the first half. Solar projects in China not counting us, garnered over $4.9 billion in the second quarter, up over $2.8 billion in the first quarter in comparison. On bad side, unfortunately, however, investments in wind projects fell down more than 28 or 30 percent compared with the same period last year when developers were rushing to take advantage of an expiring support mechanism. However, that looks like that's going to be reenacted, number one. And number two, surprisingly, somewhat like if you've been watching the car market, the uh, you just see those windmills up in the sky. They are very, very computer chip dependent. And computer chips this year so far, folks, are, uh, are certainly at a premium. For the last part of this quarter, I'm going to give you my opinion mixed from a number of studies and things I've found. But I, I've kept up with this probably for 10 or 15 years now. So uh, here's food for thought. Incidentally, some of my stuff comes from National Geographic. Some comes from a place called Tree Hugger, which is kind of strange. Of course, a number of my sources I follow, NPR and other people that I think are pretty um, realistic about what real news is, which is getting very difficult to find. We'll start back about March 2019. I have some records for it. Storm clouds rolled over all of Oklahoma, rain swept down the gutters of New York, 
hail pummeled North Florida. Floodwaters forced evacuations in Missouri, and a blizzard of all things brought travel to a total stop in South Dakota in March. Across much of America, it can be easy to assume that, of course, we have more than enough water. But that same month, as storms battered this country, a government-backed long-term report issued a stark warning. America's going to run out of water. That's going to sound like a long time to some of you, but within less than 50 years, many regions of the United States are going to see their freshwater supply reduced by as much as a third, and in some cases by half. Of all the freshwater basins that channel rain and snow into the rivers from which we draw the water, we rely on for everything from drinking and cooking to washing and cleaning, nearly half will probably be unable to meet consumers' monthly demands by the year 2070. This will mean serious and dangerous water shortages for us here in the Americas. What many people don't realize is these shortages won't only affect the region we'd expect to be dry, with as many as 96 out of 204 basins in trouble. Water shortages would impact most of the U.S., including the Central and South Plains, the Southwest, and Central Rocky Mountain states, as well as, of course, parts of California, the South, and the Midwest. And folks, my two cents, and if 50 years seems like a long way off, the reality is that things are going to happen. That's the outside much sooner. Shortages now, okay, occur in 83 basins with 40 out of 50 states expecting water shortages and are already having them, obviously. It's time to start thinking about where our water is going way before we get 50 years down the road. From the snow-capped Rockies to the flat expanses of the prairies and from the wetlands of Florida, which I've spent a lot of time in when I was young, to the deserts of Arizona, the United States is a country of really, truly geographical extremes with rainfall patterns that are really to match the whole concept. I lived in Louisiana, Hammond, Louisiana, and we averaged 60 inches of rainfall a year, while in Nevada, less than 10 inches of rain falls annually in many of the valleys and deserts. But climate change is impacting precipitation in strange ways. In broad terms, while the wettest regions of the U.S. are getting wetter, and they might, the drier areas are getting drier, and there are some seasonal shifts in water patterns. Rising temperatures mean that the snowmelt that used to feed many rivers begins and ends earlier, contributing to summer water shortages. Bad right now in Northern California and, and certainly in Oregon, where I was last year. And even when precipitation is projected to increase in certain areas, mostly, of course, in the northern regions and maybe in the east, the trend is toward more intense concentrations of rain that are really, really, folks, difficult to capture and hold on to. At the same time, about 140 of the basins that we actually depend on are expected to be drier, especially in the southwest, south Great Plains, strangely enough, in Florida. And the west coast, California has already faced, and is facing, the worst droughts in recorded history. Along with decreasing rainfall comes really rising temperatures. Guessing by 2050, the U.S. could be, if we don't straighten out, at least five degrees warmer than in the past, and extreme weather events, as we've already seen, such as heat waves and drought, could be more and more intense and occur more and more frequently. As temperatures warm, 
Evaporation increases, further decreasing rain in the lakes, reservoirs, and rivers. Hey, have you looked up Lake Mead in the last week? For example, every degree of warming in the Salt Lake City region drops the annual water flow of the surrounding streams by 6.5%. For cities in the western U.S., they rely on cool temperatures to generate snow and rain. Unfortunately, as the climate changes, it appears there's going to be less and less snowpack each area and a part of the country that actually has relied on it for centuries. And unfortunately, a big part of the problem is, is the water supply is decreasing, demand is increasing. On average, each American uses 80 to 100 gallons of water every day, with the nation's estimated total usage kind of try to take this in, topping 345 billion gallons of water. Can't tell you how big that is. Enough to sink the state of Rhode Island under a foot of water every year. And just at current rates, folks, by the year 2100, the population in this country is going to go up by a couple hundred million more people, up to about 500 million, or at about 360 or so now. Given that we use water for everything, the simple math is more and more people mean more and more water stress. And at least at the way we're going right now, we're really, really not addressing the problem soon enough. Actually, we're already tapping into our own reserves. Aquifers, porous rocks like here, and sediment that store volumes of water underground are being drained much quicker than we anticipated just a decade ago. About 165 million Americans rely on groundwater for drinking, Farmers use it for irrigation, and about 38% of our total water usage is for agriculture. And, of course, the industry also needs it for their manufacturing. Groundwater is being pumped faster than it can be replenished. An example we know about is the Central Valley Aquifer of California, which underlays one of the nation's probably most agriculturally productive regions. But it has drastically declined and has lost 10 cubic miles, try to figure that out, of water just in the last four years since they started monitoring it. It's sort of like the decreasing supply and the increasing demand are creating what I would call a perfect water storm. The effects which we're already feeling really sooner, way sooner than we thought we would. The Colorado River carved its way about 1,450 miles or so from the Rockies to the Gulf of California for millions of years but now no longer gets to the sea at all. In 2018, parts of the Rio Grande, we are here, folks, recorded the lowest water levels ever recorded. Arizona essentially lives under permanent drought conditions, and in South Florida's freshwater aquifers, they're increasingly susceptible to having salt intrusion due to overextraction. And it's actually becoming so salty as to not be usable in the very near future if we don't do something about it. Folks, uh, stuff's looming. There's a doubts right now about the whole effectiveness, in my estimation, of the environmental impacts of traditional responses that we think we're going to be able to save things with. I mean, just including and expanding reservoirs and mining uh, for aquifers is probably not going to be enough. The possibility is desalination, which can produce, as far as we know right now, as much as 50 million gallons of fresh water a day, okay, just in the California area. And California already has 11 desalination plants and another 10 already planned or beginning to be built. 
But despite costs that are half of what they once were, desalinated water is about twice or three times as expensive as extracted water. As strange as it sounds, there's actually been proposals that periodically forwarded to pipe water from South Alaska to California and Canada. The cost and complexity has just prevented any further planning or development, at least till it gets so, so expensive that it would become a, a possible alternative. So anyway, that's my, whatever I did, five minutes or eight. We got water problems, folks. If you think you're going to have problems buying $4 gas, if you don't get yourself an electric car, wait till you run out of water. Thanks for staying tuned to Organic Matters. Organic Matters.